0: Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to another HIP Historian event featuring Marshall Shore. I am Brenda Holt with the Arizona State Office of AARP. We are the nation's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people 50 and older to choose how they live as they age. With a nationwide presence of nearly 38 million members across the nation and approximately 900,000 right here in Arizona, we work to strengthen our communities and we advocate for what matters most to families, such as health security, financial stability, and personal fulfillment. In the month of January, we will focus on the thriving job market. Despite the pre-pandemic unemployment levels, workers of all ages, but especially those 55 and older, are increasingly concerned about an uncertain and ever-changing job market. With high inflation, higher costs, and a possible recession, have made older workers less confident in their ability to get a job or continue to grow in their careers. AARP is a wise friend and fierce defender of older workers and has programs, offerings, and resources to help. In an uncertain economy and rapidly changing market, you can count on AARP to help you navigate your job search and career path and fight back against age bias. We are also fighting to strengthen age discrimination laws, increase protections, and help companies across the country foster age-diverse workforces that value experience. Visit us at aarp.org work for tips, tools, and resources to help stay competitive in the job market. Thank you again. And with that, I will turn it over to Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Bond, Welcome to the show. Your host for the night, very own hit historian Hello
1: and good evening. I want to welcome you all to Arizona History Happy Hour. Oh my gosh, I am so happy you can be here tonight. We've got a really great show for you this evening. So just you wait and see what's all gonna happen. Now, I know we've got folks on Facebook, YouTube. Um, I know at least one friend out of New York is watching via LinkedIn. So happy you can all join us today. And so happy so many of you already found the chat session. It is great to see you all here. So. Arizona Power. So one thing that I always like to do when I start off is that we start off with a little bit about what is today. So today being January 12th of 2023, that midway point between in January. So this date back in 1883, the Southern Pacific, Southern Pacific Railroad tracks were completed. A silver spike was hammered in the ground and that meant that Tucson could now be reached from the East Coast by way of San Antonio. So those folks could take the train here to Tucson. And, you know, there are rumors about the train eventually coming back to Phoenix, which is kind of exciting. So we no longer have to go to Maricopa or Flagstaff to catch a train east or west. So excited about that possibility as well. So today is also National Cattlebell Day. You know, when I go to the gym, I see those things that resemble cannonballs. And they are used for fitness. Not by me, but I do see folks using them. Um, So, you know, that kind of ties in the fact that today is stick to your New Year's resolution day. I mean, we're right in the middle of January. So many of you may have already given up on your uh, resolutions But, you know, maybe tonight you'll find renewed vim and vigor and be able to charge ahead and complete whatever resolutions you made. Now, it is also National Marzipan Day, which means, you know, it's a day where we get to celebrate one of those amazing desserts that's really made primarily of sugar, but with a little bit of ground almond oil or extract, and so you find it a lot in, I think, Persian and also Italian cooking. I mean, the Italians love to make little fruit out of it so and mo- model all kinds of things, so you can celebrate that today. As well, it is National Hot Tea Day. You know, tea has been in cups since about the 2nd century BC, originating in China. It has grown in popularity to become the second most consumed beverage right after water. Now this delicious blend of spices energizes, detoxifies, relaxes, and, you know, gives us something to dip things in. So, you know, whether you're having a milk tea or just a nice cup of hot tea, it's great weather all around the state for that right now. as well as it is also kiss a ginger day. Now, this is something that you only find in about 2% of the population, although I bet there's a lot more redheads out there than just 2% of the population. Um, But, you know, sadly, kiss a ginger now while you can because it is a recessive gene that is slowly fading away. At least natural redheads are slowly fading away. But they are still around, and you know, a little bottle can always revive that intensity of your hair. So, there you go for January 12th. So, what can you expect for Arizona? Indeed, you are, Jason. So, what can you expect on this episode of Arizona History Happy Hour? Well, you know, we've got a little bit of trivia coming up. You know, Anna, go ahead and kiss your ginger cat. So we've got a little bit of trivia coming up as well as Little Arizona talking about a small town in Arizona. We have a little bit of Arizona music history as well as From the Vault, which is always just kind of a little something about Arizona that you might not know, but drive by a lot. Um, We also do indeed have a beverage as well as a special guest. So... Now, if this is your first time watching, you might wonder who is that man and why is he on my screen? Well, my name is Marshall Shore and I got to Arizona over 23 years ago. Um, I was working in Brooklyn at a little Carnegie, well, not a little Carnegie, but a big Carnegie library. And so decided to trade that beautiful building plus that snow, that slush, all that weather decided that it was time to move to someplace sunny and relocated to a library in South Phoenix where there was a rich oral tradition of the community. And that's one of the things that got me looking at Arizona through just storytelling. And so that's how I got to where I am today. Now we promptly moved to Arizona and moved into a beautiful 1956 ranch. Now when we got here, it was oh so many tones of beige. Well, hello, Veronica. Thank you for coming all the way. And did you bring any hotcakes to share? So, you know, we promptly moved to Arizona and moved into a beautiful 1956 ranch. That is pretty much a time capsule. I'll show you what I mean, because right there is my kitchen. That's what it looks like today. All that buttercream yellow tile that matching yellow in the wall oven, which works like a charm, as well as the matching stove top. And so that's, you know, and pretty much those are the original cabinets, original poles. So indeed our house, some friends call it the Unmuseum because everything is touchable. And we indeed love to bring in more and more history. Now, as soon as we got to Arizona, all we heard was there was no history here. But you know, I knew that wasn't true quickly on because, you know, when, every time I would go somewhere, whether it was on foot, on a bike, in a car, on a bus, it didn't matter. But I kept running across so many amazing people, places, and stories. And so that's just what we're gonna to do tonight is we're gonna talk about some stories. But first, I'm also known as the hip historian. Now you might wonder why. Um, actually, in later this month, I'm gonna be doing a project or a program with Equality Arizona at the Tempe Library. So that's gonna be fun. As well as then later in January, talking about LGBTQ history at Agua Cayente Park down in Tucson. As well as then, I'm also going to be out in Apache Junction talking about another one of my passions, vintage signs and our neon. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, As well as the Willow Home Tour is coming up in mid-February on the 19th. The night before, we're actually going to be doing a VIP tour of Willow. And so if people sign up for the Twilight Tour that they do in advance there will be an option that comes through to upgrade to that trolley tour that we're gonna be doing around Willow. As well as then in February also, we are gonna be doing hats and high tea at the Pioneer and Military Memorial Park. That is a fundraiser for preservation of headstones. So, you know, this will be the first time we've done it. And gosh, I think three, maybe even four years. It's been a while. So looking forward to doing that again. As well as we have Arizona Unzipped coming up on March 24th, which is going to be a basically a educational burlesque show. I will tell stories about Arizona and Pyra and her dancers and musicians, including a full orchestra, including a live orchestra, not a full orchestra, but a live orchestra, will be just sharing history and lots of Arizona love. Now, you can also, I've started putting up Arizona Street Happy Hour up on Spotify, so you can also listen to it as a podcast. Well, and you know, and I see so many of you have found the chat, but in case say you have somebody you think would be a really good guest on happy hour, you can reach out to me either on Facebook, Instagram, email, or through my website. And the key word in all of that is hip historian. All right, now, you know, it would not be happy hour without a beverage and you know, tonight is no different. So PJ decided that we should do something because, you know, our theme tonight is a little bit of Wild West. Oh, let's see. And so Silent Bob, my bartender, so he is making. It is a, an old a take on the Old West Pink or a Wild West take on the Pink Lady. So it's got a little bit of Sentinel Mesquite Rye from tucson now pj puts them in these little jars so i don't have to do any mixing all i have to do is just pour like that and i get a delicious cocktail so let's see and so tonight's cocktail is called calamitous calvados So it's got a little bit from Tucson. We've got some rye. We've got a little bit from Sedona, some dry gin, as well as lemon juice, grenadine. Oh, and you know, PJ, I already know that that's gonna wind up on a menu somewhere. So looking forward to that. So, all right. So here we are for Little Arizona. So, you know, that's one of the beauties, I think, of Arizona is. Oh, let's see. No. Hello, Jana. Here I, here I am. Oh, my God, I am so sorry. No worries at all. So, um, okay, so I've got you on speaker. Um, we, we're just getting ready to do a Little Arizona, and then we will launch into some trivia.
2: Okay, you got it.
1: All right. So tonight for Little Arizona, we are talking about a town called Moccasin, Arizona. Where Arizona? Moccasin.
2: Moccasin, okay.
1: So Moccasin, Arizona. So Moccasin is in the northern part of the state. And so it has a rich American Indian history, early explorers, as well as Mormon pioneer. Now the water of the pipe springs made it possible for the plants, the animals to really live in this dry desert region. Uh-huh. It had many it had lots of indigenous folks hanging out there. And then about 1850s you wind up with Latter-day Saint missionary expeditions coming in. Now it has a population of about 94 And so you can see it's quite beautiful up in there. And so one of the house, so there is the big house, which was built in 1875 and was really about the Mormon pioneer craftsmen building this house. And so many folks along the Arizona trail or the honeymoon trail stayed in this house. So, wow. it is now in the middle of the Kaibab Forest, but you can still go visit Moccasin, Arizona.
2: So, it's called the Honeymoon Trail because the Mormons who were coming were on their honeymoons, right? Indeed.
1: Honeymoons are- yes. It, yes. Wow. Yeah. So, it's just it's just south of the, that northern border, just south of Utah. So, oh, cool. indeed.
2: Very good.
1: All right. So all right so Jana, i am yes. so happy you can join us this evening <laughs> i am too i am too and i'm so sorry
2: that i screwed up earlier but i promise to be totally on your on, on focus right now
1: very good well happy you are here thank you so um let's see so okay Jana, for folks that don't know you tell us a little bit about yourself
2: well, I'm a longtime Arizona journalist. I came here in 1972 out of graduate school from the University of Michigan and worked for the Arizona Republic. And I worked for the New Times and I worked for Phoenix Magazine and I worked for Channel 3. And I worked for Channel 8 and, and I, I now write for True West Magazine. So I have really been around this whole, the whole valley kind of thing, working with a variety of, I wrote for Arizona Highways, um, so I, I've really been um, uh, uh, here a long time and and covered covered Arizona a long time, but maybe I covered contemporary Arizona until I went to work for Bob Bell at True West Magazine, where I started covering historical Arizona. And that's when my eyes were really open to what this state was all about and what the West was all about. And it has been an absolutely joyous um, exploration of that history, which is so rich and so um, um, wonderfully convoluted. As you know, as you well know, you know, it's not hard to get sucked into this to this mania over the Western history because it's just there's just so many characters and so many people that are magnificent. And I've, I've focused on the women of the West because uh, most of history has decided to ignore women, which, uh, as you know. And um, so I've been exploring all these different magnificent women who really helped make the West what it is today. And uh, Bob Bell and I have just published a book about that, called Hellraisers and Trailblazers: The Real Women of the Wild West, uh, which was a delight to uh, to explore some of these phenomenal women. So that's that's what I do.
1: Very cool. So yeah, so I mean, it's like I mean, you, you've got quite a history of yourself. <laughs> but tonight we're talking about other women's history, and so right. now trivia here at Happy Hour is a little bit differently than if you go to bar trivia. Mm-hmm. So what happens here is we're going to go through the questions, the the possible answers, because they're all multiple choice. Okay. We'll take a quick Arizona music break, talking about some Arizona music history, and then come back and we will talk about the, all those amazing answers and all those amazing women. Good. All right. So let's get started with our very first question, and it is, who is the most celebrated American woman? Would it be A. Harriet Tubman, B. Eleanor Roosevelt, C. Sacagawea, or D. Susan B. Anthony? So it is one of those um, women who is the most all good celebrated.
2: All very, very good candidates.
1: They are indeed very good candidates. <laughs> so it'll it'll be tough to choose which one. And so, okay. all right. Question two: Who is considered to be the mother? of women's Western migration? A, Eliza Spaulding, B, Calamity Jane, C, Narcissa Whitman, or D, Agnes Locke Hickok. So one of those women is considered to be the mother of women's Western migration. All right, question three. Who was the Apache Joan of Arc? Was it A, Lozen? B, Sarah Winnemucca? C, Delici, Or D, Susan LaFleche? So who do you think is the Apache Joan of Arc? All right, question four. Who was Chinatown's vengeful angel? A, Helen Hunt Jackson. B, Donalinda Cameron, C, Tai Leong. Or D, Clara Flots. All right. So, Chinatown's eventual angel, who was it? All right. And here we are at that halfway point. And why are women decried as hyenas in petticoats? is it because a they wanted birth control b they wanted freer divorce laws c they wanted to vote or d they wanted equal pay ah i think all four of those are good (laughs) candidates of things so all right so question six who said, I'm a bulldog running along the feet of Jesus, barking at what he doesn't like? Was that A, Mary Jane Coulter, B, Caria Nation, C, Annie Oakley, or D, Maddie Erb? This
2: is one of my favorite questions. I love it. Imagine the ego you had to have to make that statement. Imagine the ego.
1: Oh I God. know. It's, it's like right up there with the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so indeed, you had to have a huge ego to be able to say that. So, yeah. but you know, I have a feeling some of those women—all actually, probably all of those women—had videos. I think so.
2: I think they did.
1: So, all right. So, question seven: Who is the poet writer accredited with saving Arizona's statehood? Is it A. Martha Summer Hayes, B. Bell Star, C. Charlotte Hall, or D maddie silks so which one of those was a poet writer and is credited with saving arizona's statehood hmm that's going to be a good story i can already tell all right question eight what old west female journalist got a cannibal out of prison what (laughs) all right okay so okay so i'm not even quite sure what that question means but okay was that a Nellie bly was it b polly pry c laura nyhill or d ida tarbell all right so one of those women were were journalists and they also got a cannibal out of prison shocking shocking Indeed. All right. Question nine. Who was the great Westerner? Was it A, Sarah Bowman, B, Olive, Mother Writher, C, Gertrudis Barcelo, or D, Nellie Cashman? All right. So which one of those women is known as the great Westerner?
2: It's actually The Great Western,
1: I think. Oh, is it The Great Western? Oh,
2: yeah, all right. The Great Western, yeah. Yeah, she was called The Great Western.
1: All right. And here we are at our last and final question. What is the claim to fame of the West Rodeo Queens? A, were they the first women to wear pants in public? <gasps> Shock. <laughs> B, were they the best paid women in the country? Ooh. See were they the first professional female athletes in North America? Maybe. They outshot outrode the male performers. Oh my gosh. All right, so what did what was the claim to fame of western rodeo queens? All right so while you are getting your answers ready locking in those final votes we are going to take a quick arizona music break and you know and i thought since we were talking about women of the west it would be a great time to talk about billy maxwell now billy maxwell was grew up in nutrioso which is over near springerville and she was a she was on a ranch family but her father started a music group called the White Mountain Orchestra. And so they would perform around town at dances and all kinds of celebrations. And she was a guitarist and vocalist. But then in the late 20s, an engineer came traveling through. He was basically a talent scout looking for, for, recording, for people to record with Victor Talking Machine Company. And so the, her family was invited to El Paso. And so she became known as the cowgirl singer. Oh, my gosh. And so what I love cool. is that her songs back in the late 20s, I mean, they really spoke to the struggles of poor women. So you can track some of her recordings cool. down on YouTube. There's also a really good display over at the MEM. So if you get a chance, swing by cool. and take a look. And so she is the first woman in arizona to record western western music so billy wow. maxwell there you go all right and i'm sure people are ready for some answers all right okay so who is the most celebrated american woman and c sacajawea
2: isn't this amazing she was a 16 year old shoshone girl She had been stolen from her tribe in Idaho and taken to Dakota Territory, where she was married off to a French uh, fur trapper. Either He either won her in a poker game or he bought her. She was uh, his third or fourth wife. She was pregnant, and into, into camp comes in 1802 these explorers called Lewis and Clark, and they were on the expedition to go across the United States in the brand new territory that that Jefferson had just bought for $50 million from Napoleon. Um, and they were to find a waterway that would go all the way across the country. So they were sure, they were absolutely certain. See, this was an area that wasn't even mapped yet. I mean, they, this was just the wild, they called this the Great American Desert. This whole, this whole area from Mississippi to the west, they considered that all one big desert, which is how far off they were on everything right and uh but they were sure that there must be a waterway where they could take a boat all the way to the pacific to the atlantic over the atlantic to the pacific well of course there was none and that would be the big discovery but that was what they were trying to find and um the, and, and her husband was hired to be the interpreter and to, and to work um on this to go from North Dakota all the way to the Pacific and she came with carrying her new brand new baby with her and she twice saved this entire expedition from ruin. Without her, the two-year expedition would have been over in 37 days because she once saved all their equipment, all their maps, all their papers, all their equipment, which was about to be washed down the river. But she she calmly gathered it all together as the boat was sinking and saved that. And then later she saved them all from death when they uh, were uh, trying to negotiate with a tribe, which turns out to be her old tribe, where her brother was now the chief. And there was a thought about killing these people because they were like, you know, a nuisance, um, and she convinced them not to do that and, in fact, to give them horses so they could continue on. Um, and so she was really responsible largely for the success of that opera, of that entire expedition. There are more statues, more commendations, stamps, money, um, it's, it's all kinds of statues all over the place. A place named, named for her than any other single American woman of any color. Now,
1: isn't that astonishing? Wow. That is incredible. Well, and you know, and that was like, I mean, there were so many statues ranging from um, much larger than life to life mm-hmm. size and kind of everything in between.
2: Right. Right. I mean, there's all I mean, she really is. She's really loved and admired, uh, you know, by everyone, including North Dakota, one of North Dakota's statues in the statuary hall in the state capitol. You know, every state gets two statues of citizens that they think um, honor them. She's one of North Dakota's two statues um, in statuary hall. So North Dakota is very, you know, we and, and I'm a North Dakota girl. So I really feel a kinship with this with this woman uh, because um, you know we both had gave him the, sort of the same area. Um, but yeah, she was a remarkable remarkable woman, an absolutely remarkable woman. The strength of a sixteen year old teenager carrying a baby on her back halfway across the country and doing what she did was uh, was uh, pretty wonderful.
1: Wow, indeed. All right, question two who is concede- considered to be the mother of women's Western migration.
2: And the answer is Narcissa Whitman, but I, I have I have issue with this answer because although that's the correct answer, Eliza Spaulding, who had come west with Narcissa, both of their families, they were both newlyweds, and they both came as as uh, as as uh, preachers and, um, um, and, and as missionaries to the to minister to the Western tribes. Um, Narcissa would go up into the Walla Walla area. And in fact, gotten, um, uh, the Whitman College is named for her. Um, and she would be, she would sh- prove herself to be someone who couldn't st- couldn't stand Indians. I mean, she'd come to minister to the Indians, but she didn't like Indians, and she didn't she didn't warm to them, and she treated them badly. And they, you know, they saw her as someone who disdained them. Eventually, they murdered her and her husband. Um, and it was a horrible thing. But Eliza, on the other hand, she was over more in the Idaho area and she was a, someone who she was the first white woman to learn the language. She she loved the people she was ministering to. She was a, a true had the true heart of a, a missionary spirit um, and she was kept safe when this, this kind of war started with, uh, with the missionaries. Um, so she doesn't get any credit, where I think she deserves a lot more credit, but because my sister was murdered, she gets you know, the, the big honor, right? Um, but but you know, I also look at this, and of I, and I, course I don't I, I know that she was murdered, but I also look on this as like, you know, she wasn't even kind to these people. She couldn't even stand these people. And and Eliza, on the other hand, loved these people. And so so I get torn. But Narcissa Whitman gets the, gets the official god.
1: Well, you know, and sometimes that happened. I mean, as you look, I mean, there's also like the same issue with like Mary Coulter. It's like, uh-huh. did she do all, do all the things that are attributed to her? Or did other folks working for her
0: uh-huh.
1: do it? Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, in some some cases, we'll never know the truth because they're long gone. We can't ask.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: All right. So question three. Who was the Apache Joan of Arc?
2: Well, that was Lozen, and that's an Arizona girl. She's an Arizona Apache. She was the sister of Victorio, who was one of the great chiefs. She ran with uh, Geronimo in the very last uh, band of free, free Apaches in the world, she was one of them. She was a healer. She was a, a, a I think, a, kind of a mystic. Um, she was a midwife. She was, a, she was an official warrior. You know, Apache girls were taught just like the boys, how to ride, how to shoot, how to trap, how to, you know, everything. But then the girls were expected to go and get married and take care their children and the family and, da, 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 and all that. Well, Lowson said, I'm never going to marry. And I want to be a, a real warrior. And the chiefs allowed her, the only girl ever, to be allowed to be a real warrior um with the and so she she was always with her brother except that except when he was killed and they, they they always have thought that if she'd have just been with him rather than taking a pregnant woman back to the reservation that in fact she would have d- detected that bad people were coming and that and she would have saved her brother but she wasn't there to save him so but she was and she wasn't when when um Geronimo went into exile in 1886. She was one of the Indians um, that went with him. to First to Florida, where, of course, it was disastrous because it was, you know, the weather and the whole atmosphere was horrible. And a whole bunch of people died right away. Um, And then she eventually was sent to Oklahoma, where she eventually would die. Um, but she was quite a, she's considered by some to be the greatest guerrilla fighter in American history. Wow. Um, yeah, and she's quite, a, quite an interesting woman. I just did, had, had a talk the other day with somebody whose horse, whose his wife's horse is named Lozen, which I thought was pretty wonderful. If I had a horse, I'd name her Lozen. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, question four. Who was Chinatown's vengeful angel?
2: Oh my, this is a magnificent story. This is Donaldina Cameroon. She was this tall, prim, proper Presbyterian girl who was talked into coming to San Francisco to help out a friend who was sick. And that friend had opened up a a house to help the Chinese girls who were being suckered into coming over here um, thinking they were coming to marry nice Chinese men, but instead were being sold into slavery or um, or turned into prostitutes. And this, the, 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 the friend, Donald Donaldina's friend, eventually died not long after she got here. And so she was left with sort of the, being charged with helping. And she made it into an art form. She would go into Chinatown and break down the doors and steal the girls and grab the girls. And to, and and flee literally run through the streets um, to take them to safety to our house. The, then the cops would show up, often with the 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 the, uh, the, the Chinese men who, who owned quote unquote owned these girls, who would claim, well, this is my niece, this is my niece. I mean, she kidnapped my niece, right? And she so Donaldina knew that they had to get start getting laws to help start protecting these girls. And protecting all girls who are who are in these situations, and she went to the church, and the church said, "Oh, you know, little lady, you go home and you you take you know don't never mind, we'll take care of it." And she thought they're not going to take care of it, so she took care of it. So the first child, she was responsible for the first child labor laws, and she it said that she saved some three thousand Chinese girls. And she brought the girls in. She educated them. The first Chinese girl to go to college came out of her house. the The first woman who was the first Chinese woman who was an official interpreter hired by the federal government and had a civil service job came out of her house. So there was uh, she did this remarkable, remarkable. Um, uh, work for the Chinese girls. To this day, Cameron House still exists in San Francisco. The phone is still answered in Chinese, and it is still a house for refuge. But now it is a refuge for someone of any 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 nationality.
1: Well, you know, I mean I, I mean, I love how so many of the women we've been talking about have been educators. And yeah. really supporting women and getting them to just better themselves and to move and to get out of. I mean, talk about a horrible situation. I mean, mm-hmm. going to a new city
2: it's under a new country. Yeah. Yeah, a whole new country. I mean, these guys would go over to China and say to their parents, "Oh my God, they're all these wonderful young men." And there were a lot of a lot of Chinese men that come <clears throat> to America first to build the railroad. First looking for gold, then to build the railroad, then da 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 da, all this stuff, right? Right. So there were a lot of China. There was a lot of opportunity, and the thought that their that their children could be advanced and would have this fabulous life. You know, so the poor families never knew the difference. Um, And these men were just conning them. And it was horrible. It was just horrible. But I think she's one of the bravest women I've ever known. I've ever known about. And you've never even heard her name before. No, I mean, that was the
1: thing. It's like like until this, I had never heard the name before. So then I started researching and I was like, oh my gosh.
2: I know. And isn't she remarkable?
1: Yeah. And at that time, to be so strong-willed.
2: I know exactly. This was like started in the late eighteen hundreds, the late eighteen hundreds, like eighteen nineties or something. Is the kind of when she when she start really started in, and yeah, and to be, and she was, and she was never prepared for this kind of work. I mean, she was a she was a straight lace. You look at her, and she was looked like a straight lace you know, a Presbyterian lady who should be home, you know, with her children or else home taking care of her mom and dad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And here she is uh, in, in a very, very dangerous work. You know, they, you know, they, they, they wanted to kill her. They wanted to get rid of her because right. she was such a danger to the, everybody. Uh, but she was so, so brave. I was, I just love her. I just love her.
1: Wow. What, what an amazing story. All right. So, question five: Why were women decried as hyenas in petticoats?
2: <laughs> because they wanted the vote. When they were, the, when they were, the suffragettes were. First of all, the word suffragette was meant as a, as a, uh, uh, um, as a, as a blaspheme, as a, you know, as, as a, as a put down. Oh, these are suffragettes, and so the suffragettes said, "Well, you know what." You can' you can't get us with your words. we'll adopt that word as our own. And so they took the word on their own right And then they, the guys called them hyenas in petticoats. Um, and petticoats um, and, and and the fight for the vote went on for I mean it started in 1848 really at Seneca Falls and then it, it wasn't until 1920 that the United States uh, as a country, Um, gave women and white women let me make that distinction white women the right to vote Um, but i will tell you in the western united states uh, all the western states were voting long before 1920 arizona was one of the last and that was in 1912 so then it started in 1869 in wyoming so the Western, 4,000 women in the West were voting for decades before Eastern women ever were able to vote for the first time in their lives. We sent, the West sent a woman to Congress before Eastern women could vote. We sent Janet Rankin from, from uh, Wyoming, who was a Republican woman from Wyoming. We sent her to Congress before Eastern women could even vote. Imagine that. So I'm very, very proud of what the West did for, for women voting. I mean, and, and they, people say, well, why do you suppose this, they did it this way? I said, I think it's because women stood shoulder to shoulder with the men in building the West. And in fact, one of the, con- the slogans in Arizona was, remember, women, um, rem- women were as anxious as the men o- over, worried as anxiously as the men over Arizona. So they stood shoulder to shoulder with them, and and when the when it went to a popular vote, and in Arizona, it had to go to a popular vote. The legislature kept turning them down. The legislature in Arizona in the territorial days kicked women in the teeth six times. Six times they were almost on the verge of having the vote, and they were kicked in the teeth. Finally, the first vote of, after statehood, the proposition on the ballot put there because the women finally took things in their own hands was, can women have the right to vote? And the men in Arizona overwhelmingly voted for women's suffrage. 62% of the fabulous men of Arizona voted for women to have the vote. It's the highest percentage of vote ever registered for suffrage in the nation. And so the men were saying, you damn right, these women have a right to vote. Look what they've done. Look at how, how they've stood with everybody. They have not shirked one responsibility. They have helped build the West and build Arizona. Sure, they deserve the vote. So, but so, yeah. So they tried to make fun of them by calling them hyenas and petticoats and doing cartoons. Oh, some of the cartoons that they had back in those days are just hysterical. You know, deriding women and making fun of them, and poking, you know, and making them look foolish, and acting, you know, uh, you know, all, all uppity about the whole thing. Um, but when, but but when people had the chance to vote, they voted to give women the vote, and this happens state after state after state in the West.
1: Wow. And in the nineteen
2: twenty, of course, the Susan B. Anthony Amendment was passed, and suffrage was a, was expand, expanded to primarily the white women. Black women had to fight. For you know because they, the black women supposedly could vote, except that there were all the all the things that they had done to keep black men from voting, all the tricks that they used. well, they used the same tricks on the women, right The women the women got around it faster um, and Indian women weren't even allowed to vote until like 1948 in Arizona, which is 28 years later. Wow So Native women really were the ones that suffered the most. they they, they didn't have the chance to have their voice heard.
1: For a long time wow that's amazing all right so question six who said i am a bulldog running along the feet of jesus barking at what he doesn't like
2: <laughs> that was carrie a nation who named herself carrie a nation because she thought that it was her role to carry a nation into prohibition, get it? Indeed. So she, changed, she changed her name around. So she was the woman who took the axe. They called her the Battle Axe. You know, and they took, She took an axe to to to, uh, to saloons. She broke up saloons. I used them yourself, and you'd start. she would start. You know, breaking up bottles of whiskey and stuff. She um, was determined that, 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 uh, that liquor was the, the crux of all the domestic problems. And in fact, the whole prohibition thing, um, you know, a lot of it was because there was so much violence toward, in families because men came home drunk and beat up their families and stuff. Um, and squandered their paychecks by, you know, drinking in the saloon instead of coming home and paying the bills. And so, you know, um, one of the very, you know, first big domestic violence fights was uh, to get rid of alcohol. Well, this, this is the woman who led the fight. And for, for a while, she was like really, really like popular. But then, but then, she just kept, kept. She wouldn't listen to anybody else. She just had her own way of doing it. And as you can tell from that quote. She had an ego that was bigger than the state of Montana. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, and also choosing to change her name to Carrie A Nation.
2: Right, right. I mean, she had, you know, she, uh, yeah, she had, oh my God. So, so she, so eventually like the suffragettes and everybody, especially women in the West, because the old, the first institution in the West were the saloons. When, 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 when women migrated out here, whether they were black or white women who migrated out, we already had Native and, and, um, and Mexican women here, and then the other women came out. When they came out here, what they found was basically the only institution was the, was the saloon. And so that's where, in fact, men voted in those days, and women weren't allowed to go into saloons. Decent women were not allowed to go into saloons. You would, you would not find a decent, good woman walking into a saloon for any reason whatsoever. It was like poison, right? So that was one of the other ways that they tried to keep women away from the polling place by putting the polling place in a place that women wouldn't go, right? Um, but they also were very aware that not every man was a drunkard. I mean, some men just enjoyed a drink or two. They enjoyed the camaraderie. They had, a, this was a chance for them to have the meal with their friends, to play cards. You know what I mean? It was a social gathering as well as a saloon um, and so the Western women were far less interested in prohibition than were the Eastern women, because Western women knew it was going to be their downfall, that the men of, of the West would go, wait a minute, you're, you're after our, you know, we can't even have a drink with our buddies now, you know? So there was a real split in that. Um, and Carrie Nation um, was, uh, was really felt that split. And eventually, they just wanted. And, and her campaign, her campaign was focused in, in Kansas, where she lived, which was supposed to be a dry state. Kansas was the first state in the nation that came into the into the na- na- nation as a dry state. This constitution said you cannot have a saloon, but nobody paid any attention to that. I mean, there were saloons all over the place, and so she was saying, you know, I'm going to uphold the law. But 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 yeah, her ego was 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 pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing.
1: Well, and even here, we had so many speakeasies. Yes.
2: Oh, yeah. In Arizona. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The only place that was ever dry... You know what the, place, the only place that was ever dry in Arizona was when they built Roosevelt Dam, and they had that 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 encampment out there. Oh. You probably know the name. I can't remember the I, name. I do. Yes,
1: actually, I just, I just talked about that a couple weeks ago, and I don't remember what the name is, but yes.
2: Yes, that encampment was dry. It was the only dry spot in the entire state of Arizona. <laughs> That's right. I know. That
1: is hilarious. All right. Question seven. Who was the poet writer credited with saving Arizona's statehood?
2: Now, some people should know this. I mean, more, some of your audience indeed should know that this is Charlotte Hall. Um, Who is not just a museum up in Prescott, but of course was a real woman, a real poet, a real writer, a real strong suffragette, a real great strong woman, was the first historian for the state of Arizona, was the first woman in the country to hold a government job being historian. Um, and who, in fact, um, uh, did, was absolutely adamant about how important it was for Arizona to get statehood. You know, if I could live at any time in Arizona history, it would be at that last time, at that last part like maybe say from 1908 maybe to 1912 because in 1912 we got statehood right but in those last four or five years of the frenzy arizona had been trying for 50 years to become a state and washington didn't want us nobody wanted us you know um somebody said uh, we you know that we were just a place that uh, um was had too many scorpions, too many Democrats, and too many Mexicans. I mean it was it, they found all kinds of reasons not to like us. And but when they came out here to look us over, we showed them, you know, that we we weren't very educated, we weren't very sophisticated, we weren't very cultured. There were, you know, I mean it, we lived out of their expectations if I tell you that. So um, so so there was an effort in nineteen oh two when Teddy Roosevelt, dear old Teddy, was the was the uh, president to join Arizona and New Mexico together into one state with Santa Fe being the capital. Because they thought, well, let's throw all these Mexicans and all these Indians and all these, you know, this all this desert land, all let's throw all this stuff together. You know, and we only have to have to deal with one state like that, not two. I mean, that's ridiculous. And so they, they went to a public vote. Well, New Mexico said, yeah, that sounds great to us. Well, of course, they were the ones who were going to be end up being the state, right? Arizona overwhelmingly said, are you kidding me? So in the midst of all of them, Charlotte Hall writes a very impassioned poem called Arizona, in which she just is seething in every sentence to tell Washington, go to hell, basically, you know what I mean? But she says it eloquently and saying, you know, we're not bowing to any state. We don't have we don't have any reason to become the second best to anybody. We are a wonderful, glorious place all of our own. Da, 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 da. Well the poem was so powerful that Dwight Hurd, who then owned the newspaper in town and who eventually whose home is now the Herd Museum, he reprinted that poem and put it on every desk in Congress. And Eastern Papers credited that poem with changing a lot of minds. And oh. said, Ari- Arizona owes o- Charlotte Hall a great big
1: uh, 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 thing of gratitude. Wow. And you know, I mean, and I love the fact that poetry saved Arizona statehood.
2: I know. Isn't that something?
1: That's amazing. You know, I wonder if Rosemarie Dombrowski, the Phoenix po- Poet Laureate, knows that. I I hope so. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to send her a note later tonight and just remind her in case she had forgotten.
2: Great, so. great, great, and I have the poem. If you if you need the poem.
1: Oh, cool. Okay, I will I will, I will let you know if she if wants to If
2: I was at my desk, I could be I could be reciting to you because it's <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a wonderful poem. It's a very long poem. It's a big many stanzas, but yet it, it it touts Arizona the quality of Arizona. So Charlotte Hall was a woman to a woman to be reckoned with. I mean, she was a forceful, wonderful woman, and she wouldn't let anybody wouldn't let anybody get her. Here, I I I, get, I have one great story about her afterwards. So, so um, and she a Republican, right? A Republican woman from Prescott. And um, I, several years later, she was seen on the streets of Prescott talking to this Democratic woman who had been a friend of hers for 25 years, right? She, she gets a visit that afternoon from somebody from the Republican Party who says, Charlotte, you can't be seen on the street talking to a Democrat. And she said, Why? And he says, "Well, it looks like you're endorsing her. I mean, you—you know—you've got to—you've got to just stick with your own here. You got." She said, "Are you kidding me?" She says, "That woman has has as much interest and and, and love for Prescott as I do." She says, "We just happen to differ on some some policies, but you can't tell me what to do." And so, I mean, I I just loved I, I, that story. To me, says something so 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 true about her that she was her very, very own person um, and wouldn't let anybody tell her what to do, no matter who they were.
1: Right. And, you know, and that history that we have of working across aisles. Yes. yes. I mean, we've got so many famous women who have done that exact same thing.
2: Right. Right. I mean, the women who gave us suffrage in Arizona were from every political, every, every political band, Republican, independent, Mormon women. Oh, my God. Mormon women were so vital to, the, to that effort. Um, and Democratic women. I mean, they were there were everybody and they were all working together on the same cause. I mean, it was really one of the great um, 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 cross-cultural things that had ever happened in Arizona was that I love I love that about our suffrage movement
1: indeed all right question 8 what old west female journalist got a cannibal <laughs> out of prison
2: this is polly pry The great name polly pry yeah this is, i i know it's like it's like this like like you pry into everything and polly oh polly Polly um this is a woman that I, that I just was introduced to. This is a woman that I knew nothing about. Now, a lot of other people know a lot about Polly Pry. I just had never heard of her. I'd never heard of this situation. And when I discovered her um, for myself, I, was, I went kind of nuts. So I'm reading her biography and I'm reading about you know, her, autobi- I, her biography, I guess, the biography of her. Um, so Polly Pry was the first woman to be um, hired by the Denver newspapers. So she was Colorado's first female journalist, um, and female journalism back in the late 1800s was um, was it was something pretty amazing. I mean, we had some pretty phenomenal journal, journalists right here in Arizona, women journalists in Arizona. Well, well, Polly kind of outdid everybody. So she was um, she she was fearless. She um, heard the story of of Alfred Park. Uh, 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 Alfred Parker. he said no, I'm saying that wrong. Uh, Alfred Parker. His name was Parker, I guess. Yes, he was a guy who had um, uh, he had been out in the in the mountains in the winter time with a group, and they were they were he was supposed to be leading this group. He didn't know what he was doing, and they all got lost, and they you know, basically were starving to death, and they died. And then to stay alive, he ate some. He ate some of them so when he gets back into town they go back and they find the bodies during the during the um in the spring and they decide that the guys had been murdered not just died by themselves and uh so they charge him with murder and with uh, cannibalism and of course they send him to prison and he's been in prison for 25 years by the time Polly pry comes along so she goes in and she starts interviewing him and and he's never been interviewed before i mean no, no one ever was cared to talk to him you know so um, he says to her, he says, you know, I never murdered anybody. He said, I had to eat those guys or I was going to die. But I never murdered anybody. And she said, you know, on the high seas, if you are stranded on the high seas and somebody dies and you have no food, you are allowed to eat that person. I mean, that's a rule of the sea. Did you know that? I didn't
1: know that. <laughs> that's, I know that, that, you know, I know that's I know more reason now. not to go on sea. No, <laughs> know, no cruises for me.
2: You're right. Well, she said, well, why does not that apply if you're in the middle of the, of the mountains of Montana or Colorado?
1: Right.
2: So that should apply the same thing. It was a survivalist thing. So she starts in, in on this drumbeat of writing these stories about Alfred uh, Parker and how um, how he should be, he's served enough time, He served 25 years. And the drumbeat gets so loud. I mean, the governor is, a, is absolutely aghast. It's like, what are you talking about? I mean... It's like, this was like one of the most famous cases in, in Colorado history. And, and here she's now saying, you know, you guys sent an innocent man to prison, right? And they're all thinking that this is the biggest, you know, stain on our entire history, right? Well, she gets the public so riled up that they demand the governor give him a pardon, and he does. So he, Alfred Parker comes out of prison and ends up living in Littleton, Colorado, and he becomes a vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't blame him at all.
2: I don't either. I don't either.
1: Oh and my gosh.
2: He just lives out his life. A, quiet, a little quiet man.
1: Wow. That's incredible, incredible. She was just,
2: she was absolutely, this woman was, she talked about some, but I think the power went to her head. I mean, but it did it in kind of in a good way, you know? I mean i I mean I really like sassy women as you, you probably you can probably tell um, but I mean, I really like women that really have a sense of who they are and what they can do and use their power and she was one of those kinds of women. she hated oh listen to this you love this she hated Molly Brown, you know from the Titanic
1: Oh indeed, yeah,
2: yeah, she had her own paper for a while after she left the after she left the Denver post um and she had her own newspaper and she would rail against. Uh, Molly Brown because Molly Brown was one of these nouveau rich was like a poor girl who got rich. Cause her husband fought, you know, found oilers and I mean, gold or something. Right. Right. And she found her to be uncool. You know, she didn't think she belonged. She didn't have any class. That's what, that's what Polly thought. And so they fought all the time about, but, and she always was bad mouthing Molly Brown and your Molly Brown was this big hero of Colorado. And so I bet, I mean, that would have been a fun thing to sit and watch that happen. You know,
1: Well, and I'm shocked there's been no movie about this.
2: I know. Shouldn't there be a movie about this? There should be a movie about this. There really should be. Yeah. I mean, as you're
1: saying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is right for a movie.
2: I know. Yes,
1: you're right. You're absolutely right. Well, and I want to give a shout out to Anita who actually did share the poem Arizona. Um, She shared a link for it. They can go to a website on Poetry Nook and find that poem. So thank you, Anita, for chiming in with that.
2: Oh, good, good. I'm so glad. That's great. Okay, good.
1: All right, so who was known as the Great Western?
2: The Great Western, and well, first I got to tell you why, what this name is. This name is not a thing that says this is a, a great person of the West. The Great Western was the largest ship on the ocean, and this woman... Whose name was Sarah Bowman was a large, like like six foot tall, two hundred fifty pounds, a big sturdy woman, and she was kind of a giant compared to most of the men around her. And so they named her after the after that. She oh. Had- <laughs> so she is famous for saying um, that uh, that she had the biggest leg in Mexico, right? Now, Bob bell my partner in in this book, um, thinks that that's the funniest line he's ever heard. Well, you know, and, and she did say it, you know, she said, you know, um, and, but, and, and so at first I just sort of like, you know, I like discounted her as like, oh, God. You know, she, you know. Well, then I, well, as we're researching this book, I start like, you know, studying her and finding books about her and stuff on the Internet and everything my god she was an absolutely remarkable phenomenal woman i mean she is um she is a she's a cook she's a hotel person she's uh, probably a part-time prostitute every now and then she is she, she adopts children she is a nurse she's a doctor she's um she's a big catholic um she's um I, um, she gets involved with the Olive Oatman story, you know, the, the oh, yeah. I mean, captive girl. Oh yeah. I discovered that there's an incredible connection between her and Olive Oatman that has been, has been hidden in history on purpose. Um, because I didn't want anyone to know. That, like, anyway, you have to read my book. My book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. More reason to buy that book and find out yeah. what is the connection.
2: Yeah. An unbelievable connection. Um, and she and she was just this really bizarrely wonderful, strong woman um, who did who did things her very own way. I mean, and she didn't take any gruff from anybody, and she always was always was demanded that she be treated like like a, like a proper lady, which they, she always was. Um, and she wouldn't She wouldn't allow, like, gruff discussion around, you know, like, gruff talk and stuff or, you know, lots of swearing and all that kind of stuff. She always made sure that every place was clean and everything was very nice. And she, you know, I mean, she she really, she ended up at Yuma you know, at Yuma, yeah. when there was a fort at Yuma, which was had to be the ugliest fort in the world. Because, you know, Yuma, you can imagine what Yuma was like in those days. And she was buried in Yuma. And then when they moved all, when the fort, of course, went away um, and they moved all the military bodies from from Fort Yuma to the Presidio in, in, in San Francisco, they moved her. Her coffin was by far the biggest coffin they moved. And she was the first woman put in the Presidio. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And someone said that if they hadn't had this thing about whether she'd been a prostitute or not, which was never clear. But you know, and and you know, and here's where I come down on this thing: when men are being bested, then they usually say, "Oh, yeah, she's just a whore." You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. it's an old, it's an old, tired, stupid, you know, a, a slander against women. Right. So half the time when they're saying, "Oh, she's just a whore," you know, she probably wasn't even a whore at all. She wasn't probably a prostitute at all, but she had motels and stuff and she you know she might have been maybe she did i don't know i i hardly care and in fact several historians said who cares (laughs) that's that's not what you know that's not what she's important for um but someone said that if she hadn't had that over her head as a possibility she would have been known as the greatest um uh civilian woman uh soldier in america because she she was um uh, she was uh, so intervo- involved in the Mexican War on our side. She was helping out the troops and traveling with the troops and helping people and stuff. Um, so she was a pretty f- phenomenal woman.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And yet another name I've never heard of.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, you'll you'll love her. You, what you get you'll get into her and Marshall. You'll just adore. Her. It sounds like it. Oh my she's god, she's our kind of woman. She's our kind of
1: woman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, and our last question is: What is the claim to fame of West's Rodeo Queens?
2: Well, actually, every single one of those answers could be the answer. The official answer is that they are the first professional female athletes in North America. But they also were the first women to wear pants in public. They also were the highest paid women in America. Um, and what was, the, what was the full thing I said we, in that list? Um, they did, oh, and they, oh, also and they out, out were better, better ropers and, and, and bronc riders and trick riders than the men. So they held their own. I mean, they were really phenomenal. Um, th- these women were, um, uh, I mean, I, 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 I that's probably who I wish I could have been. would have been, would have been a rodeo girl, um, a rodeo woman, I guess, a rodeo queen, <laughs> um, so, you know, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to, been a queen, um, they were, they traveled the country and they, and they um, held their families together and, and, and mo- most of them married cowboys, um, not all, always very successfully but you know they tried um but they had um they stuck together the, in in um fort worth at the national cowgirl hall of fame they have magnificent displays about a lot of these women and there were a whole bunch of them i mean i don't i i, I can't tell you the number of rodeo women there were but i'm going to bet you that it was a, around a hundred maybe uh, because there were tons of women. There were dozens, at least dozens and dozens. Right. Um, and uh, and they, uh, uh, they, they were very spunky, and they were very wonderful. So they were officially the first women uh, professional women athletes. So the West gave to America and to the continent women athletes. We gave them the first women politicians. We gave them women's voting. You know, eventually we're given the first Supreme Court justice in our own Arizona, Sandra Day O'Connor. We gave them the first female Speaker of the House in Nancy Pelosi. We have one one thing after another where Western women have been at the forefront of American life.
1: Wow! Go Arizona
2: go arizona i know and go west and go west young lady go west exactly (laughs) not just go west
1: young man but go west young lady (laughs) indeed so i love people already starting to show i one of my my next way is always how did you do and so anita got three out of ten but she says so many women to look into
2: good and you can they're all in our book every one of these women even even the ones that were not the right answers most of those women are also in our book, the Hellraisers and Trailblazers, uh, the real women of the Wild West. Which you can get it on Amazon or you can get it through True West Magazine. Either place. Um, I, I, Changing Hands had it, but I think they're out. I think they've sold out. Uh so
1: okay. That was I was going to say. I, was, I bet Changing it. Hands has it, but okay, if they sold out, so
2: we got to resupply those guys.
1: Indeed. So, Jana, thank you so much for coming on and sharing oh. your passion for so many of these women.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Marshall. I mean, I, I hope that, um, I hope it sparks you, Jimmy, because you're so good at gathering all of these wonderful, weird little facts and, and, and inside pieces of information that bring history so alive. You've done such a fabulous job. Um, to do this for all of us that um, I'm glad to contribute a tiny bit to you.
1: Thank you so much. And have a great rest of your night.
2: I will dear. You too.
1: Thanks. Good night.
2: Okay. Good
1: night. Oh my gosh. That was so much fun. And again, and so many amazing women now to look up. And so now you'll always see, and I know, and I think Anita said at the very beginning at the top of the show that she's already shared it. So this is why you'll want to share just because we get to have a chance to have so much fun with our history. And so next up we have From the Vault. So, okay. So if you're down in the Old Warehouse District, just south of where they play baseball, where they play basketball, there is a new development called, and so it's this apartment complex that basically right in the middle of it has these two historic buildings. And so this is Gerardo's building, um, dates from the 20s and gerardo he was kind of an entrepreneur and so he had a barber shop in there at one point it was an auto shop did all kinds of things and then it's like in the mid-30s he opened up a cafe now what's unique about these buildings is the fact that it's like it was just south of the railroad tracks and so there was a Small community of Hispanics that lived and worked right there. So he opened up El Café Soriencia. And so I think it's so cool that they're getting ready to, they're prepping that space, they're keeping that building as well as the old grocery next door. But what's really cool is this is they're basically reviving this to be another restaurant. Um, So they don't know what it's going to be yet. I mean, I would definitely lobby that they keep the name of the historic restaurants that's there just to keep the history of it alive. But one of the things I love is that if you take a look at this building, you'll see it's definitely a two-story building. And so the top story, which actually you get this really great kind of 360 view, would have been living quarters. So there would have been renters up there that probably worked the railroad that also were eating downstairs that were right there. And so I think it's so cool that with all the building that's going on, that folks are realizing our history and incorporating it into adaptive reuse of revitalizing these spaces for the community, which I think is really kind of amazing that people keep saying, Oh, you know, those buildings don't really have anything, but indeed they do. They've got just a great bit of history to share with us. And oh my gosh. And so next week, next Thursday, you'll definitely wanna check in because we have Kevin from the Lowell Observatory and it's gonna be so much fun. Oh my gosh. I mean, the stories he's got about Lowell and space exploration all up in Northern Arizona, So much fun. So you definitely will want to check out that show. Now, remember, you can check these out on either every Thursday night. You can also track them down on YouTube. And I'm going to I've got a I think I've got a couple up on Spotify. And so every week I'm going to be putting a couple more up there so you can listen to them on your drive to work. Maybe doing the dishes. I know that's when I do my podcast listening is when I'm doing the dishes makes that a little less dreadful of a job. All right. So again, thank you all so much. And if you have any stories or folks that maybe I should include, please share. I mean, I love to hear from you all. And so I always want to give a shout out to Chris and Cole, who did that great video at the intro, as well as PJ, my cocktail advisor, for always giving me something delicious. And so... Here you go, a toast to you all. And leaving, we are gonna basically. I'm gonna show a little bit about a woman we didn't talk about, but she was Miss America and Miss Arizona, Miss Vonda K Van Dyke. I'll tell you what we'll do.
2: We'll compromise. What do you mean? Well, um, we'll sing a duet. I didn't mean that we both sang together. Yeah, I didn't think you that good. <coughs> All right, look, remember, wherever we go and whatever we do, we're going to have to go through it together. Mm-hmm. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're going to go.